I'm one of the least flexible people I know. I can't kneel. And if someone put me in a kneeling position, I wouldn't stay there because I'd fall over. But one day, I'm going to have new legs and new knees. And one of the first things I'm going to do with those new knees is bow them before the Lord Jesus. And thank Him for saving me because He is worthy. Today I'm going to be looking at with you the first 18 verses of Philippians chapter 2. And I heard that the, the summer's theme is basically a junkyard. That we live in a junkyard and we are called to shine for Jesus in that junkyard. So my message today is called Clean Living in the Junkyard, and I'm really looking forward to sharing with you. So I'm going to read the first four verses, and then I will open in prayer and we will begin. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let's open in a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for being here with us today, and we pray that you would bless our time in your word, and that you would be honored and glorified in it all. Lord, I pray that you would uh, stay the weather and help it not to affect the activities of the camp too much today. pray that you would bless those who are working here. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the first point... Uh, that I want to point out about living in a junkyard, living in a different life in a dark world, which is where we find ourselves, is to put others first. I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time on Facebook, probably more than I should. But one of the things that I often see circulating on Facebook is that we should care only about our own happiness. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Don't let anybody uh, tell you how you should live your life. Just worry about your own happiness and let everyone else worry about theirs. And I understand to a certain extent why they say this because there is a certain extent to which we need to live our lives and not worry about what other people think. But I think... If you carry it too far, it's a dangerous mentality because the mentality is no matter what I need to do to be happy, I'm going to do it. Even if it alienates other people, even if it makes people upset or uncomfortable, I'm going to live my best life. 
And I have news for you, folks. God did not call us to be happy. He called us to be holy. He told us to come out from among them and be separate. Now, is happiness a good thing? Yes. But I think that happiness is the result of living a holy life, not the goal. If you set out to be happy, then your circumstances could change and something catastrophic could happen and your whole life is set off kilter because you're like, this does not fit into the happiness paradigm. But if you set out to be holy, then happiness can often result. So as we look at these first four verses, uh, we see Paul saying that if Christ is your focus, if you are grateful for his love, if you are basking in his mercy, then you should be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. This camp is a perfect example. When they get ready to plan the next year of camp, I don't know if they do that in the fall or in the spring, but whenever that is, a group of people come together and they say, what do we want to accomplish for camp next summer? And they have to be unified. Clearly there's a program director, clearly there's other leadership, there's a board probably that that discusses some of these things with them. But they have to come together to make that happen. And if they all have their own goal, guess what? Camp isn't happening. The Bible says that we are one body in Christ. We all have our function. Not all of us can be a foot. Not all of us can be a tongue. Not all of us can be an arm. But we can all work together to be the full body of Christ. And then he says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. We should not do it with our own motives in mind, but we should esteem others better than ourselves. I've heard it said that humility isn't thinking of myself less, it's thinking less of myself. You see, we're not supposed to not think of ourselves. We're even told, love your neighbor as yourself. So God knows that we're going to love ourselves. But the goal is to lift up others. Who was the ultimate example of this? Jesus was. He said, I've come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And then we see, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. If you look at the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, what do we see constantly? Wherever Joseph was, his goal was to make other people better. When he served in Potiphar's house, his goal was to make Potiphar's house the most efficient, best place to be. And it tells us the only thing Potiphar cared about was what he was going to eat every day. Because everything else Joseph took care of. And God was with Joseph and prospered him. Then Joseph gets falsely accused and tossed into prison. 
And what happens there? The prison guard sees something in Joseph, which is nothing less than the Spirit of God, and says, Joseph, I'm going to put you over the prison, and everybody's going to answer to you. So then he gets pulled out of prison, and he stands before the Pharaoh, and he interprets the dream with the power that God gave him. And Pharaoh says, we need a man who is filled with the Spirit of God. Where can we find someone like this other than Joseph himself? And all of a sudden, Joseph is the governor of Egypt. But in each step, Joseph's goal was to make other people better. And that should be our goal as well. If someone could look up a cross-reference for me as we uh, continue to consider this, I'd like to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. If somebody gets there, then if you could stand and read it for us, that would be great. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having the passion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, and you may inherit a blessing. So Peter is echoing what Paul said about looking out for other people above themselves. And what does he say will happen when you do that? He says you will have a blessing. Now, I think we need to clarify what a blessing is because some people, even myself when I was younger, would read verses like, Delight thyself also in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. And be like, well, if I just wish real hard, I'll have whatever that new tech gadget that I want it will just be given to me I'll have a new car in the driveway or my dream house that's not what it's talking about what it's talking about is that you will have blessings like friendship and blessings like knowing the peace of God which will rule your hearts and pass all understanding that you can have peace and joy in some of the most sorrowful times of life because you follow the Lord Jesus. I was born three months prematurely, and so I had problems breathing when I was born, and uh, they tried to put a respirator, hook me up to a respirator, and but it was 1979, and they didn't have children's respirators, and the respirator blew holes in my lungs, and that's why I have cerebral palsy, which confined me to a wheelchair. I've never walked on this earth. And I had a real struggle to get to the point of acceptance of that and to realize that God had a plan for my life uh, because I said, God, I know that you have heaven waiting for me. I've trusted you as my savior, but my earthly destination stinks. And so if you could heal me, then I could serve you. And God held on to me tight for nine years of rebellion until at age 14, I fully surrendered to him and said, okay, God, whatever you want to do with me, do. And that's why I travel around and preach wherever I can to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is where the power is. American poet and Pulitzer Prize winner Edwin Arlington Robinson used to spend his summers 
at the McDowell Colony near Peterburg, New Hampshire. Arriving at breakfast one morning, he found the writer Nancy Bird and a new member of the colony already seated at the table. This is Mr. Robinson, said Turner to her companion. Robinson? Not E.A. Robinson. Not the Mr. Robinson, gushed the woman. There followed a long, uncomfortable pause. Then Robinson replied, A. Mr. Robinson. He didn't think that he was anything special. He was just trying to live his life and enjoy the time. But she obviously thought he was something special. You know, in the sense that we are created in the image of God, we are all special. But there is nothing remarkable about me except for the fact that I serve a remarkable God. Let's look at our second thing that we can do to live clean in a junkyard, which is follow the example of Christ. Follow the example of Christ. I think even as Christians, we can miss this to a certain extent um, because we get caught up in trying to live right, but we don't think about the power to live right, which is only found in Jesus Christ. So let's look at Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of things in heaven and of things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we have a familiar passage here where Paul is showing us the ultimate example of the things he talked about in the first section. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He was God in human flesh, and yet he never lorded it over others. As a matter of fact, as I alluded to earlier, he came to serve. And he was always serving. He also didn't believe in interruptions the way we do. Remember the disciples when the woman brought their children to see Jesus and placed them on his lap. The disciples says, get away. Our master has more important things to do. And what did Jesus say? He said, suffer the little children to come unto me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. I think it was Uncle Charlie of Children's Bible Hour. Um, and if you don't know who that is, I, I feel bad for you. But Uncle Charlie was one of the greatest children's evangelists of the uh, 20th and early 21st century. He, he led Children's Bible Hour, which you can still hear the classic Children's Bible Hour broadcasts on 
BBN, Bible Broadcasting Network. Um, it's 102.9 out of uh, Grand Rapids. I don't know where you can pick it up other, way, other ways, but you can get the BBN app. But anyway, I think it was Uncle Charlie, um, when I had him on my podcast, he mentioned something like 80% of Christians become Christians before they turn 12. Children are the most fertile mission field for the gospel. And so that's why ministries like Camp Mishawana are so important. Because the seeds we sow in children today will reap benefit as they reach adulthood. And so as we look at this passage, we see the mind that Jesus had. He gave up the power of his deity. He didn't give up his deity. Please understand. He was still very God. One of the things that's really interesting about um, the turning of water into wine in Canaan, there's a lot talked about how, how that was the best wine. That was one of the things that the steward said. He brought out the best wine lands. Have you ever stopped to consider why that might be? The reason is because the creator of the grape made that wine. Bible tells us in John chapter 1 that nothing was made without Jesus making it. And yet, this man, who is also fully God, made himself of no reputation and took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He decided to come to the world not as an adult wielding a sword, but as a baby who was laid in a manger. His mother Mary counted his fingers and toes and rejoiced at his birth. And she sorrowed at his death. And being found in fashion, as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The cross was the most barbaric of deaths that you could do. As a matter of fact, if you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't be crucified. That's how barbaric it was. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of things in heaven and of things in earth and of things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's coming a day, folks, when every single person will bow the knee before the Lord Jesus. Even the most godless person you can think of, Adolf Hitler, Al Capone, the nastiest slave driver in the southern south, whoever they are, they will bow the knee before the Lord Jesus. And for the, for the believer, that's something to look forward to. I'm one of the least flexible people I know. I can't kneel. And if someone put me in a kneeling position, I wouldn't stay there because I'd fall over. But one day, I'm going to have new legs and new knees. And one of the first things I'm going to do with those new knees is bow them 
before the Lord Jesus. And thank him for saving me. Because he is worthy. I have a couple cross references. So if you have your Bible, you can be ready to to turn to these passages and help us out. The first one is John 13, 14, and 15. John 13, 14, and 15. So Jesus, as I said, is the ultimate example, and he gives us the opportunity to follow that example and to be blessed by it. 2 Corinthians 8-9, 2 Corinthians 8-9. This is a powerful passage. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is that though he was rich, he became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. God chose not to send Jesus to a palace, but to send him to a poor couple, Joseph and Mary, who did not have a place to lay him, so they laid him in a manger. But do you realize that even if he had been sent to a palace, that verse would still be true because the riches and the glory that Jesus had is something that we cannot comprehend. And the very fact that he stepped into a human body and not only stepped into a human body to live on the earth, but he rose again with a glorified human body. And we will see that glorified human body. He's, in, he's indwelling it for all eternity. Because he loves us. Revelation 19, 11 to 16. Revelation 19, 11 to 16. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on a cup of faith, and in righteousness, and judgment and his glory. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. His name is written, and no one knows but himself. His clothes and robe dipped in blood, the name by which he is called the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he is written, so we see a glimpse into the future of when Jesus will come and make all things right. I know that different Christian denominations have different views about the end times, but one thing we can all agree on is Jesus is coming back. Because he said he was, and he's faithful to his promises. Remember, he told his disciples three times, I'm going to die. Bad news. Then I'm going to rise again. Good news. And yet they still forgot what he said. And when Mary Magdalene came to Peter and John, after she was witness to the resurrection, 
they said they said she sounded like a mad woman and they didn't believe her and they ran to the tomb themselves and then they saw the evidence and they still struggled to believe until they saw Jesus himself you know Thomas gets a bad rap because he wasn't there and the disciples said we've seen the Lord and Thomas doubted them but I have a feeling that any one of the other disciples if they had been the one that was absent would have said the same thing and what did Jesus do he met Thomas where he was and Thomas said my Lord and my God think with me for a moment what would it be like if my iPhone had an app called the mind of Christ if I could just punch a button and instantly on the screen would appear instant wisdom from the master himself if I had an app that would allow me to ask questions of Jesus and get his instantaneous answer, perhaps as a text message or an email, or even, dare I suggest it, a voicemail, wouldn't that be something else, to have the mind of Christ just the touch of a finger away? Could that be possible? Well, yes, actually it could, but not from your iPhone apps. The amazing feature of our connection with Christ came bundled with our salvation. It is part of what God did when he planted within you the Holy Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Along with his presence came something amazing, all for your benefit, and closer than an app on your iPhone. This feature of your relationship with Christ is safely tucked inside your head. You, friends, have within yourself the mind of Christ. Just so you don't think I dreamed this up, the scripture text which attests to this is found in... 1 Corinthians 2.16 For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And that is 1 Corinthians 2.16 in the NIV. And that observation was from a man named K. Edward Skidmore. What a wonderful thing that we have the mind of Christ. We have the very words of Christ. We have the very example of Christ before us. Our final section today is Philippians 2, 12 to 18. And the third point I want to make is be an example of obedience to others. Be an example of obedience to others. Paul writes, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have... Always obey, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world." Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For this same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. So Paul is saying here that uh, you obeyed God in my presence. Now obey him when I'm not there. And then he says, For it is God who worketh in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get into this mode of thinking that I'm doing pretty good. 
And then Jesus is a good help for me, but I, I can do pretty good without him. And then he fills in the rest. But the reality is that everything good that we do comes from Christ. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And then he says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the question for us is, do we want to do nothing without Christ? Or do we want to do all things that he has given us to do with his power? That is a question we must ask. And then we're to do all things without murmuring and disputings. Why? Because we want to be blameless and harmless sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. That's where we live today, sadly, in the United States of America is in a crooked and perverse nation. A nation that calls evil good and good evil. A nation that says it's perfectly okay to mock the image of God that he made you in. When, in fact, he made you for a purpose, male and female. A nation that says it's okay to kill the very image of God through the barbaric procedure of abortion. When, in fact, all babies are made in the image of God. So I say to anyone who is questioning whether to be pro-life or not. Do you believe as the Bible states that we are made in the image of God? If you do believe that we are made in the image of God, you cannot support the killing of the unborn. It's a bottom line truth. Can we look at James chapter 1, verses 16 to 18? James 1, 16 to 18. Do not be deceived, my, bro- my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of the truth, that he might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We were brought forth by the will of God. So many people today say, well, I don't need anyone. But guess what? If you go to the grocery store to get groceries, guess what? You need someone because you need the person that grew the vegetables. You need the person that raised the meat. You need the person that pays your paycheck. All of life is about being dependent on others. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2... Or maybe it's chapter one. I'm, I'm missing the exact place right now, but it's in one of those early chapters that says that God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. There's nothing in us that could be living. And as a matter of fact, we are told that spiritually we are dead without Christ we are not just floundering in the waves. We are laying on the bottom of the ocean with no life in us. And then God pulls us out and gives us his life. Matthew five fourteen to 16. Matthew five fourteen to 16.
So we're to let our light shine before men so they can see our good works and glorify us? No, so they can see our good works and glorify God. Because he's the one that gives us the power to do the good thing. Because as Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. Not some good things, but no good thing. And then John 6, 68. John 6, 68. I really resonate with this verse um, because there are so many people today that say I, I used to be a Christian, but now I'm not. But can I challenge that assumption for you today? First of all, have you ever known of a human baby that once they're born, they have to be born again? No. They're born, and then they grow from baby to adulthood, but they never cease to be and become born again. It's not possible for a baby who is born to be born again. So it's a permanent situation. You are born a baby, and Lord willing, you grow into adulthood, and then when God says it's your time to go, you die. And of course, sometimes you die as a child. But the idea is you're not going to start over as a baby once again because birth is a one-time situation. Spiritual birth is the same way. Jesus said you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of heaven. I was born again right before my fifth birthday in 1984. That means I've been walking with the Lord for 39 years. And as I just attested to, it hasn't always been easy. The first nine years were horrible because I was having a hard time accepting the way God made me. And when I hit rock bottom was in 1992 as a 13-year-old boy when my seemingly healthy three-month-of-age um, little brother John Michael went to bed and never woke up from a nap. My dad said it was like an angel was sent from God and just said, John, it's time to go for a walk and took him to heaven. And I remember crying in my mom's arms and saying, God, why would you take my baby brother who is perfectly healthy and leave me here when I'm completely useless? That's the way I felt. But God brought beauty from ashes because he showed me through the ensuing year that he was not going anywhere, that he would never leave me or forsake me. And he pulled me out of that pit and he gave me a message and a ministry. I'm so thankful to God for what he did and I can't wait to tell my brother John all about it when I see him in heaven. But see, there was never a time when I said God doesn't exist. There was never a time when I walked away from God because I couldn't. Because God told me, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And underneath are the everlasting arms. 
Because it's not my power that keeps me safe. It's God's. Lord, to whom shall I go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. As we close, I just want to share this observation. Peter T. Forsyth was right when he said, the first duty of every soul is not to find its freedom, but its master. Bob Dylan once wrote, you got to serve somebody. It may be the Lord or it may be the devil, but you got to serve somebody. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My prayer for you today is that you will choose to serve the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that you would bless it. Pray that it would not return void, but that it would accomplish all that you have set it forth to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.